And Father, we just pray that you would do that now as we dive into your word, that you would, that you would use this as an opportunity to draw each one of us closer to you, that we may understand you more fully and understand how you work in the world more fully. And so, Father, we pray that as we come to your word, that you would speak to us this morning and that you'd speak clearly and powerfully to us. And we have so many things that can distract us. We can be thinking about lunch and what we need to do the rest of the day or what's happening the rest of the week. And Father, we just pray that you'd push all of that off to the side of our brains so that we could hear you speak clearly and powerfully and not be distracted this morning. And so, Father, we we pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, we just have a few more messages in this series through uh, where we're talking about biblical sexuality. Um, I think we have two or three more after this, and then we're going to be moving on to another one, which you'll find out later. But it'll be good. Um, And so today's passage is 1 Corinthians 7, 17 through 40. Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each one should remain in the situation which he was when, in when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although, if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freed man. Similarly, he was a free man when he was called as Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each man, as responsible to God, should remain in the situation God called him to. Now about virgins. I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as they have none. Those who mourn as they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, 
but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he is acting improperly toward the virgin he's engaged to, and if she is getting along in years and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A man is bound to her husband, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. And I think I too have the Spirit of God. I just love that last line from Paul. <laughs> so at this, it's always kind of fun. You're, you get a little glimpse into my life by the different illustrations I give in my sermons. And it's usually something that's probably happening at the moment I'm writing my sermon. And so at the moment I was writing my sermon, I was thinking, how do I want to start? I don't know. And then I had to give my kids chores. And your kids are never happy with the chores that you give them, right? You, someone's always going to say, why do I always get this chore? And why does she always get that chore? That's just... And, and there's this assumption, right, that I'm the one who's always getting the bad chore, and they're the one who's always getting the good and easy chore. And... Uh, the interesting thing is, every single kid is thinking the same thing, aren't they? Like, every single kid is going, why do I always get the bad chore and they always get the easy chore? Like, there, it's just kind of crazy that there's this thing inside of us, um, and it's there from the time we're little kids, that always thinks we're always getting the short end of the stick, right? We're, we're the victim, and everyone else kind of has things better than us. And, and let's just be honest, that doesn't go away the moment we turn 18 and move out of the house. That just comes right along with us into adulthood. And so I talk to adults all the time who feel like everyone else has it better than they do. Like someone else is always getting the promotion. Someone else is always has the, the cushy job while you have the job that has to just grind it out day by day or Someone else is always getting the raise, or someone else always has more vacation, or someone else always has this better life. And so there's this thing inside of us that always thinks we're getting the short end of the stick, and everyone else has it better than we do. And another way to say that is we're constantly feeling unsatisfied with our life and thinking that if I could just have their life, then I would be satisfied with it. And in the midst of this thing going on inside of us, we hear this part of our passage where he says, let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him, to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. And, and I think that just kind of flies in the, in the face of this unsatisfaction we have or this, this feeling that everyone else has the cushy life and we don't have the cushy life. And it kind of flies in the face of that because it tells us 
the Lord assigned your life to you. He gave it to you. He assigned it to you. Just like a parent divvying out chores, God looked at his children and said, this is your assignment in life, and this is your assignment in life, and this is your assignment in life. And just like our own children, we go, I don't want that assignment. <laughs> like, why do I get this assignment? I want that assignment. That one looks better. And uh, it's interesting when you think about it in that term, because I kind of, I thought, here we are complaining, like, come on, I don't want this assignment in life, God. And then you think, are you really going to have that conversation with the God who created the universe? <laughs> like, you messed up. You gave me the wrong one. Um, it, it's kind of, it's crazy that, that we do that, that we constantly question the God who knows the beginning from the end and knows us better than we know ourselves. And he said, this is the life I'm giving you. And, and when we can kind of move beyond complaining about our present situation, we begin to understand just the, the blessing that, that comes through understanding that God assigned our life to us. It's, it's really a pretty powerful way to live um, because we realize that God gave us this life for a reason, whatever it is. He gave other people their life for a reason, but he gave you this life, the one that you have, for a reason. And this is probably not like real deep theology, but we don't believe that God is a dummy. He, he knew what he was doing when he assigned you your life. He didn't make mistakes. He knew you. He knew the world. He knew your life. And he said, this is your life. This is perfect for you. And, and kind of going underneath that, we realize then that, that you're able to live the life that God has assigned to you. He didn't give you a life that you would fail at. He gave you a life that you could live. And... Uh, and then also this understanding that the life that God assigned to you, you will fulfill his plans and his purposes because he gave you the right life. And he gave you everything you need to live that life that he assigned to you. There's a comfort in knowing that, that, that God knows what he's doing when he gives you the life that he's given you. And then when you step even back a little bit further and you think about who God is, we remember that the God that assigned this life to you is a God who is good and who is loving. And so God didn't assign you this life because he wanted you to suffer, right? God didn't assign you this life because he wanted to watch you squirm. He assigned you this life because he loves you. He's a good God. And he wants to see good for you and he wants to see his name glorified through you, and you have this, you can have this confidence that that will happen because God assigned it to you. And so it's kind of these, these kind of bigger, broader principles that this passage is teaching, but, but there's really, it's kind of particular application principles, and, and one of the real particular applications that is being worked out in this passage is the reality that none of your external things need to change in order for you to faithfully follow Christ in your life. Um, and so what, what this passage begins to tell us is, like, if you're, if you're circumcised, like, it doesn't matter whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised. 
if you're going to faithfully follow Christ. You can faithfully follow Christ either way, right? Or he goes on and he says, it actually doesn't matter whether you're a slave or you're free in order for you to faithfully follow Christ, that you can faithfully follow Christ in either one of those situations. You don't know, that doesn't have to change for you to faithfully follow Christ. And I can add a few more that, that fit us. Like, you don't need more money in order to faithfully follow Christ. You don't need a better job or a bigger house or a smaller house to faithfully follow Christ. You, you can faithfully follow Christ wherever you are in whatever situation you're in. What you need to just do is, and this is kind of the main point of this passage, what you need to do is you just need to start faithfully following Christ wherever you are whatever situation you're in, and to tie it back, and in whatever life God has assigned to you, you just start faithfully following him there and, and, and not start thinking, well, if this changed about my life, then I could more faithfully follow Christ. And he goes, no, 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 no. Just follow Christ here, where you're at now and in your current situation. And, and to kind of boil this down and get it right to the point of this sermon and the main point of this passage is that you don't need to change your marital status either in order to faithfully follow Christ. You can faithfully follow Christ in whatever marriage status you have. You don't need to get married in order to faithfully follow Christ. You don't need to like stay single forever to, faith, to faithfully follow Christ. You don't need to try to get a divorce to faithfully follow Christ. He says, you should remain in the position in which you were called. He, and, and he starts laying out this principle. He said, in the view of the, the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. And there's a lot of talk about whether what Paul's talking about is a distress that's unique to his current time or a, a distress that, like, just the distress of life. And, and, and we could get into that. I'm not going to get into that. Because the, the main point of what he's getting at is that actually none of this really matters. But you're called to just faithfully follow Christ wherever you're at. And so in the midst of the distress of the world around you, are you married? Then good, live that life out in the world. Are you single? Fine, live that life out in the world. That's the life that God has called you to. Um, that's the life he's assigned to you. And it's interesting because I, I, I've been talking about this a little bit more lately, saying like if God has called you to be married, good, live that life. And if God has called you to be single, good, live that life. And, and I sometimes get pushback and people are like, well, it's easy for you to say you're married. It's a lot harder for the single person to say that. And, and again, kind of underneath that is this assumption that, that marriage is easier than the single life. Uh, there's assumption that like, if, if, like marriage is like the epitome of life. And it's way easier. And uh, just the reality is that's not true. Uh, just from life experience, that's not true, that marriage is easier than being single. And, and more important than experience, the Bible actually never says that marriage is easier than being single. It never, it never says that. 
And actually, there's a few places that explicitly talk about how difficult, how difficult marriage is. And I hinted at this a few weeks ago in this passage from Matthew, and I'll, I'll have you read the verse, but it's where Jesus is talking to his disciples about divorce, and he's telling his disciples, like, all right, God created us, male and female, and joined together, and now you're one flesh. What God has joined together, let no one separate, right? And he says, basically, you're married, you're in this till you're dead, there's no getting out of it, no way. Like, divorce, not an option. And the disciples respond by saying, well, if that's the case, it's better not to marry. <laughs> and you can kind of hear them saying like, ooh, that sounds tough. That sounds really hard. Like I thought maybe there was an escape hatch. Maybe if things got really difficult, I could get out of it. And they said, maybe, Jesus, if marriage is that hard, maybe it's better not to marry. And, and the interesting thing is, is Jesus doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't say, toughen up, you pansies. Just get married. He says, yeah. And for some people, they will remain single for their whole life because God has called them to that. And they will do it for the kingdom of God and for the glory of God. And so Jesus kind of agrees with the disciples that marriage is hard. It's difficult. And, and we'll get into that in a little bit, but, but one of the things I've been really trying to emphasize as we talk about marriage and singleness is to recognize that they're both hard. They both are difficult. Marriage is really difficult, and, and being single is, is really difficult. But they also, being married has some unique and particular blessings to it, and being single has some unique and particular blessings to it. And that's the picture that Scripture paints over and over and over again. And, it, and it's just important for us to remember that actually neither is technically better. It's not better to be married. It's not better to be single. It's, they both have their difficulties and they both have their blessings. And both of them are callings or assignments that God has, has given us and given certain people. And uh, our passage this morning is unique because what it's doing is it actually takes a moment to put a particular emphasis on the beauty and the blessing of just of being single. And he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. His interests are divided. And he goes on, I could have kept going on, he goes on to say it's the same with a woman as, as with a man. The single woman is able to devote her life to the Lord, but the married woman, her interests are divided and trying to figure out how to please her husband and, and all of that. And so what he's talking about in this passage, and it's really one of the primary benefits and blessings of the single life, is this freedom to just wholly devote yourself to the Lord. And he says if you're married... That's really, really hard because your life is full of various different anxieties. I mean, you're, you're worried about, am I, am I loving my spouse or you're, 
or you're fighting with one another and that gives a level of anxiety. And then, and then usually with marriage comes children and, and then you've got kids and they give you gray hairs. And, and so there's anxiety about them. Like, what are they doing? Are, am, I, am I wrecking them for their life? Or am I providing for their needs? Or There's all of these anxieties that come with marriage. And, and the reality is it can be completely and entirely exhausting. And Paul says, I want you to be free from some of those anxieties, and which is why I want you to see that there's a beauty and a benefit to being single. And that beauty is that you can devote every aspect of your life to the Lord. Body, mind, soul, spirit. And you have this unique ability to live in the world and devote yourself to the Lord in a way that no married person ever could ever you have this unique gift. And, and I really, I want to keep reminding us of this because I think the church over the years has overemphasized the beauty of, of marriage and has kind of downplayed the, the benefits of singleness. And, and as a result, it's become, when people talk about singleness in the church, it becomes, it's talked about as being like the ultimate cross to bear. Like, this is the most difficult thing you would ever have to do in your entire life is to be single. And, uh, and I go, the Bible never talks about it that way. It says, like, being single is a gift. It's a blessing. And I, I was reminded of that um, when I was at Synod a couple weeks ago because um, I, I got to reconnect with one of my really close friends from seminary. And I've mentioned him before, but he's kind of committed himself to a life of celibacy because he feels like that's the life God has assigned to him. I will be single and celibate my whole life. And so I was talking to him, and we were reconnecting, and we were talking, and of course, he talked to me about some of his struggles in that, but I talked to him about some of my struggles in being married. And, uh, but the, the interesting thing that jumped out to me as I was talking to him about his life was the way he talked about his life with just a joy. Um, he was constantly just joyful about the life that he, he was living and joyful about the fact that he was able to devote himself fully to the Lord. And he regularly teased me and said, ha, I guess that's the benefit of being a single guy, isn't it? You know, you got all this other stuff. And, and, uh, and talking with him, there was like no animosity, like thinking that I had a better life than him. There was no jealousy. He was looking at me like, I'm so glad I'm a single guy. And I'm so glad that the Lord has given me this life. And I'm so glad that I can just devote every aspect of my life to the Lord. And, uh, and so I really, I really want us in the church in general to, to kind of pull back and to realize that like, the single life isn't some subpar existence. Um, actually, I think we need to take it even further than just recognizing it's not subpar. I think we have a lot to learn from those who have who are single, and, and especially those who have been single and celibate for a long time, because they have unique blessings in their life, and they have unique struggles in their life, and as a result of that, they see the world a little bit differently than the rest of us, and, and that's a blessing. And so every time I talk to this friend of mine, I learn a ton, because he sees the world a little bit differently than me. I also learn a ton, because he has a lot of time to read good books, and so... <laughs> that I don't. And so he's like, hey, have you read this book? And he's teaching me all these things. But, but the biggest thing I learned from him is that he sees the world a little differently because he's been single his whole life. 
and, uh, and he can teach me to see the world a little bit differently because I've been married for most of my life. Almost most of my life, not quite. It's coming. And so, so it's not that just single people don't, aren't, like, it's not that they're just living an okay life. They're living a life that can teach us a lot in, in the church. And uh, in the midst of this, though, I do want to offer a level of a correction, or not a correction, but maybe a, a caution. And, and I thought it was really interesting because I, I read this caution um, from John Calvin. So he wrote this like 500 years ago. And he said, here's a caution about uh, the single life. And he said, it's important for us to remember that not all singleness leads to godliness. Right? There, there's a benefit and a blessing uh, of the single life. And, and you're freed up in the single life to, to devote all of yourself in following the Lord. But he said, that's not always and necessarily the case. You're freed for that, but it's not like a one-way ticket to devotion to the Lord. Because I, I have these different examples. I have friends who have de- committed themselves to singleness and celibacy their whole life, and they have did that so that they could devote their life to the Lord. And I know other people who've committed themselves to singleness, and they did it so they could devote their life to themselves. I want to devote all my energy, emotions, resources to me. And so I'm going to be single. And I don't want to be tied down by anybody else. I don't want to care about anybody else. I don't want to... That, that's not beautiful. And, and that's becoming more and more the case, right? I mean, we look around our culture right now, and uh, like a big reason why especially younger people are not getting married is because they're saying, I just want to focus on me. And that's not what this is talking about. Um, and so that actually, if, if, you're, if your goal is to be single because I just want to focus all of my money, time, and resources on me as much as I can, that will not lead to the beauty and the blessing of the single life. That'll actually, that just leads you down the path of destruction. Um, and, and we're seeing that happen over and over and over again. Um, but the key, it's always pretty simple, really. The key to living the single life in a way that's beautiful and blessed is actually the same, the same key to living any life, uh, beautiful and blessed. Uh, it's kind of the core teaching of this passage. He's applying it to, to marriage and singleness, but it's really the key of, of this whole passage, and it's devote your life to God. Be content with the life that he's assigned you, and then live that calling out in the world. And if you do that, you'll live this beautiful, blessed life that God has given you. And And so the first step of that process, no matter what situation you're in this morning, the first step is devote your life to God. And you do that by faith. Uh, That's what putting your faith and trust in in God is. Of course, at the beginning, you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for for the forgiveness of your sins. You trust him to forgive your sins. But then part of that is giving your whole life to him and saying, I trust you to forgive my sins. But I also trust you with the rest of my life, every part of my life. It's yours. And, and you, in that, by faith, you're saying, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go wherever you tell me to go. I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. I'm going to say whatever you tell me to say. That's part of this living by faith and, being, and devoting our lives to God. And, and just to make this 
real applicable to this morning. It's saying, God, I'll live whatever life you assign to me. If you assign me a life of marriage, I'll live that life and I'll live it with joy. And if you assign me a life of singleness, I will live that life and I will live it with joy because I'm devoted to you. I've given my life to you and I trust you, Lord. And, and then the next step after you devote yourself to God is to be content with the life that he's, he's given you. Um, and I, I think that's, that's part of living by faith, isn't it? Um, I was thinking this week, if you go through life uh, mumbling and grumbling about the life God has given you, are you really living by faith? You're not really, because you're not really trusting that God has given you the life that he's assigned to you, or he's given you the good life. It's kind of contradictory. And so uh, you can't devote your life to God and then mumble about it. Uh, they're, they're like contradictory things. And so part of devoting your life to God, part of living by faith in every aspect of your life to God is then being content with the life that God has assigned you. And you're content with that life because you trust God. You trust that he assigned you the right life. Um, but you do more than just be content with the life he's assigned to you. Then the third part of that is living that life out by faith again. You, you live into that life. You don't just walk around like, yeah, I'm happy with how everything is. No, you, you start to live out the life that God has assigned to you. You live it out by faith, which means you live it out with passion and joy. And so if God has given you a life of marriage, if he's assigned you that life, then you live into that marriage with passion and joy, and you do it by faith. And, and as I said last week, or they're all getting mixed up. Last week, I think, you live out your marriage with passion and joy in a way that preaches the gospel to the world. Shows the love of Christ for his church. But you can accomplish the same thing or a little different but similar as uh, in the single life. If God has assigned to you a life of singleness, you live that life out with passion and joy by faith. And, and as you do that, you're maybe not preaching the exact same message of the love between Jesus and his church, but the message that you preach through your single life is that Jesus is enough. He's enough. Um, I don't have everything I want, right? Most sing a lot of single people want to have a, a, a spouse and kids and grandkids, and they don't have that. And yet when you're living that life out by faith, you're saying, I don't have everything I want, but Jesus is enough. I struggle with loneliness, yes, but, but Jesus is enough in that moment. Um, and I think... Single people in particular have this unique opportunity to realize that truth, that Jesus is enough. I think us who are married and we're surrounded by people all the time, we're, we're always kind of propped up by these different crutches of people helping us, and we rely on them all the time. But yet single people who, who don't have that have this unique opportunity to realize, I don't have that, but yet Jesus is still enough. And it's powerful. And it's something that, I, it's one of those really powerful things I think we can learn from those who have been single for a long time. That, that the same is true for us, even though we try to prop ourselves up with, with our spouse and our kids and our grandkids and whatever. Um, Jesus is enough for us too. 
when our, when our marriages are difficult or when our jobs are difficult or when there's tension in our friends and family in the midst of all of that, Jesus is enough for us too. And uh, I mean, that's like when everything is stripped away, all the distractions of life are gone, all of the busyness of life is gone, all of these things that we use to prop ourselves up are gone, uh, we can remember that, that Jesus is enough. And he's, he's worthy of us devoting our lives to him, being content with the life he's given us, and he's enough to help us live out the life he's, a call, he's called us to be. He's enough, he always has been enough, and he always will be enough for the rest of eternity. Let's come to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you uh, thankful that you, you are enough. You and your Son and your Spirit are enough to lead us, to guide us, to nourish us, to strengthen us, to provide for us, and to meet our every need in this life. Father, we come to you often, most of us come to you, uh, confessing that we often don't actually live like you're enough. We often are looking for all of these other things that we need to be satisfied and to live the li our lives out in the world. And yet you're there saying, I'm enough. Do you trust me? And so, Father, we confess that to you. We ask your forgiveness for, for living so often as if we don't trust you and as if you're not enough. And yet, Father, we pray that you would, you would work in our hearts through your spirit to, to, to shape us and mold us so that we would rely on you more fully and that we would live in this world in a way that shows the world that you're enough for us and that you can be enough for them. So, Father, work in us. And, and in particular this morning, Father, we pray for those who are single among us and the, those who are single in our amongst our friends and, and family members and those who struggle with loneliness. Father, on the one hand, we pray that, that you would work in them and, and help them to realize more fully and more deeply that you're enough. And help them to realize more fully that that the life you've assigned to them is a good and beautiful life um, and that you've given them the right life to live in this world. And then, Father, help us as, as friends and family and community surround them and, and support them in whatever ways we can and uh, that we can live in this community together in ways that bring glory and honor to you and that we can live in this community in a way that tells the world um, that you're enough. And all God's people said, Amen.